Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Carmine Gallo is the best-selling author of Talk Like Ted and The Storyteller's Secret. He's an influential communication advisor for the world's most admired brands, Google, Accenture, Intel, Coca-Cola, Allstate, LinkedIn, and other companies that touch our lives every day. As a popular keynote speaker, Carmine teaches CEOs and leaders to deliver dynamic presentations and share inspiring stories that sell products, grow brands, and motivate change. He writes for Forbes.com. And Inc.com. Carmine is also an executive education instructor at Harvard University. That's the bio off of the book flap of his new book, which is a terrific book entitled Five Stars The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. Carmine, Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's a repeat appearance. I love it. It absolutely is. And we were talking about this before the microphones came on. It's interesting that, I don't know when we did our first program years ago, but the need for being a better communicator, for being a better storyteller, for being prepared, for getting over the fear, for, for all of that stuff, it hasn't gone away. It's still more important than it's ever been. And it only grows to be more valuable as the age of disruption is upon us. In the age of AI, artificial intelligence, globalization, it sounds counterintuitive, Dave, but this is what I've learned over the last few years. By speaking to scientists and historians and economists, the role that persuasion plays in your success as a manager, as a leader, only grows more valuable as the economy grows more digital and more complex. That, I think, to most people, perhaps a counterintuitive notion. And so that's what I tried to explore in Five Stars. I had to do a little deeper dive and build out the case, build the argument that persuasion counts more than ever. Here are a number of people who do it really, really well, who run brands like Virgin and Google and Apple. But also entrepreneurs and just average everyday business professionals mm -hmm. who yeah. don't run these famous companies and yet are elevated above their peers, mm -hmm. are promoted into leadership positions more sure. quickly yep. because they're better persuaders. Yep. They can change your heart and your mind and sell their ideas better. Exactly. What I'm struck with is the other two books, which were terrific, struck me as being a deeper swimming pool. I could go to the bottom and come back up, but they were a little bit more focused on a specific doing a TED-like presentation, you know what I mean, or applying storytelling to what I'm doing. Whereas this one is, it's deep, but it's broad. Yes. And you tell a whole lot more stories, and you offer up a whole lot more tools, techniques, and what I'll call kind of gears that sort of mesh together. Do you agree with me, or do you think yes, when I Yes, when I wrote one of my more popular books on communication skills. It was called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. And a lot of readers obviously took some valuable techniques away from that, but they looked at it as a presentation in front of a group. When I wrote Talk Like Ted, people took it as, how do I give that Ted-style talk? presentation in front of a group. Sure. And what I've realized over the last few years is that many of the people who have gravitated toward my books email me or connect with me on LinkedIn or on social media, and they give me these marvelous stories of how they've been elevated in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And it's not not in terms of giving a big presentation in front of a group, sure. but because they're better communicators. Right. They can explain information better. Mm -hmm. As we get into this world of complexity, those who can persuade 
simplify, explain better, are those who stand apart. Mm -hmm. And most of the readers and the people I've been hearing from are managers who want to go from beginning or mid-career mm -hmm. to leadership, the next, the next or level. people who are just entering the workforce for the first time. Those are not the Steve Jobses of the world who are giving presentations in front of thousands of people and selling these big products. But they're people who are seeing a great deal of success, which I think is unprecedented in human history. We don't have to go into the history. But today, more than ever, if you can express your idea a little better than somebody else in your field, you can see a sudden massive increase in visibility, in influence, in wealth that is unprecedented in human history. And there are reasons for that I don't have to get into, but I think this is a very empowering moment for yeah. everybody, sure. not just the CEO who has to give a presentation in front of thousands of sure. people. In this, I'm not even going to call it high tech, I'm going to say in this higher tech world that we're in right now, in your mind, why is it more important than ever to use the simplest language, the fewest words, and the least amount of time when communicating an idea? Ideas don't sell themselves. They need a champion. They need an advocate. The reason why I say that today is the most important time for persuasion, this is not my idea, Dave. This is, uh, I'm just the messenger. I've talked to historians and economists who say that, you know this very well, in the agrarian age, you could plow a field faster than the farmer next door. You wouldn't see a huge increase in wealth. In the industrial age, you could assemble a widget faster than the factory worker next door. You don't see a huge increase in wealth. But today, anyone with an idea can sell that idea, can attract funding for their idea, can motivate teams with their idea. Mm -hmm. The world is built idea upon idea. Mm -hmm. And that's why persuasion is so important. Well, if we have to sell our ideas, what are the best tools to do that? One is simple language. Mm -hmm. This goes back to Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning economist. Thinking fast who, and slow. Thinking fast and slow. Reread that book. There's an entire chapter on language mm -hmm. and simplicity yeah. where he says specifically short words allow a leader to appear more competent. Sure. Again, counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. But what he's saying is that jargon and confusing, convoluted, complex language actually doesn't give the listener a great deal of confidence in the leader. It's quite the opposite. Sure. There is some psychological reasons for this, and I think Winston Churchill hit it best, which is why I go into a little history in this book. Winston Churchill said, a great persuader, obviously, oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the greatest of the 20th century, Winston Churchill said, it's the short words that are the most ancient to a culture. So if you want to connect with people on a deeper emotional level, yep. you have to use short words. Right. So historically, after the Battle of Britain, Winston Churchill thought about this for a while, and he came up with this great line. He said, never before has so much been owed by so many to so few. So much, so many, so few. All one-syllable words. Sure. And books have been written on the Battle of Britain, sure. and Winston Churchill was able to summarize it in those six words. Right. That's what I mean by simplicity. Great leaders throughout history are great communicators because they're good editors. Right. If you go to the museum for the John F. Kennedy Museum in Boston, they have his original inaugural speech. Take a look at it. I remember taking some photos when I was there. There's a lot of red, well, there's a lot of uh, lines crossed 
crossed out. I forgot if it was pen or pencil that he was using. And he actually replaced long words with short words. Mm -hmm. John Kennedy, Winston Churchill, and today's good le great leaders, good persuaders, sure. use short, simple language sure. to reach the most people. The JFK thing, I'm a huge NASA fan. JFK speech about putting a man on the moon, you know, that's a very short speech. There's really not a whole lot to it, but it's so it's so powerful and so inspiring. The 1963 speech at Rice University, yeah. is that the one? Yeah, the man on the moon speech. I have the better part of a chapter in Five Stars where I talk about Kennedy and NASA. Sure. And there's actually scholarly research that's come out in the last year or so that proves what you and I already know, that his words inspired thousands of people, Absolutely. hundreds of thousands of people. The best of, of the best, yeah. To do what they originally thought was impossible. Right. That's why I, you have to understand and love history a mm -hmm. little bit, because from the American Revolution to the moon landing, to the civil rights movement, to the launch of Apple or Google, big transitional moments in our world are often started by great persuaders. Sure. Are human beings programmed to be more receptive to the three-act storytelling structure, or is it more of a cultural bias? I don't think it's a cultural bias because the three-act storytelling structure, which is a, a wonderful formula to follow if you want to sell an idea, the reason why it works is because it's so ingrained in the way we process information. The people who identified the structure were Joseph Campbell, the mythology researcher hero with a thousand and, and, faces, and right? the hero with a thousand faces and that's why that's gave the inspiration for star wars sure. it's a hero's journey and then in hollywood a guy named sid field wrote a great screenwriting book yep. that every hollywood producer and sure. screenwriter has to follow sure. in, in order to make a successful movie a lot of people say it's formulaic but he didn't come up with it on his own it's because great stories throughout all of history, going back thousands of years to ancient Greece, follow a three-act structure. Right. If you are a manager today and you want to pitch an idea or just propose an idea mm -hmm. to a boss, to a staff, to a group, follow the three-act structure. It's really simple. Mm -hmm. First, describe the situation. That's in a Hollywood movie where the characters are introduced. Mm -hmm. So describe the situation. What is the status quo? always go to act two, which is to introduce a confrontation or a conflict. Sure. That's where heroes and villains are introduced. And then act three is the resolution right. where your product or your service or your idea makes the world a better place. Sure. Set up conflict resolution. Right. Those are the three acts. What's interesting, Dave, is that after I wrote this book, or actually after I wrote the three-act structure, I was invited to speak at McKinsey overseas in Dubai, McKinsey Big Consulting sure. Firm. And somebody came up to me, Not I hadn't even talked about the three-act structure. Someone came up to me and they showed me a document and they said, you know, I'm McKinsey. We are taught to do this incredible, to follow this amazing template when we have to pitch ideas to our clients. I said, oh my gosh, show me. This could be a big revelation. The words were just slightly different, different but almost words. the same. <laughs> yeah, it was situation, right. situation, sure. conflict resolution. Right. I said, well, that's the three-act structure yeah. going back thousands of years, but that's okay. No, you go it's ahead. It's your template. It's, yeah, it's your <laughs> you template. You go ahead. If you've got a couple <laughs> copyrightable uh, infographics, that's fine. Carmine, I've, I've seen a whole bunch of videos of you. I've, I've heard you speak on this. I've read your books. Many people are very uncomfortable injecting humor 
into a presentation or into a conversation, what advice do you have for those folks? Don't overthink it. Don't take it too seriously. Don't tell a joke if you're not a comedian. Just be more natural and more authentic. I just realized that you and I have shared a few laughs in the last few minutes. I didn't have a joke. I didn't mm-hmm. have a setup. Right. It's just natural observations. Sure. So I like observational comedy and anecdotal comedy rather than actually trying to go sure. for a laugh. So if you go to TED, TED.com, and watch some of the top 10 TED speakers, you'll find that there's an educator. Actually, is one of the, the, I think, the number one speech. Ken Robinson. Robinson. It's, it's so funny. I remember doing some research on that, and I found that there were more laughs per minute than a Hollywood comedy. Yeah. And yet none of them were really jokes in the classical sense of the word. Mm-hmm. They were just simply observations right. and asides. I recall him, Ken Robinson, saying, you know, when I get invited to parties, actually, I get invited to very few parties, being an educator, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. just observational, sure. tongue-in-cheek. Sure. And what happens is, over time, you start seeing what elicits a smile. Sure. Or what's el- so when I give presentations, every once in a while, I'll turn to a quote, mm-hmm. or I'll talk about an anecdote, sure. like when I met Richard Branson, you know, sure. or when I met some type of leader. Sure. And if something elicits a big laugh or a smile on everybody's face, yeah. I say to myself, oh, they, they seem to like that. Sure. So I'll... I'll Tuck it away. Make a mental note. Tuck it away. Yeah, yeah but don't, don't go out there trying to be funny, but try to be authentic and natural. We lose that when we give business presentations. It's, it's interesting on the TED Talk side, another one of my favorites, I, I don't know how many times I watched it, it seems like I've watched it like 20 or 30 times, is the Hans Roebling presentation on changes in economies over time. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. And he basically had software that did this presentation, and anyone... Mm-hmm that you know of could have done this presentation saying here's the economy in 1947 here it is in 1967 you know and it would have been dull as anything but he you know narrated it and he brought it to life and he was like the puppet master of this just what could have been on the face of it just dry as a bone economic presentation and it is like again one of the best presentations i've ever seen because he invested himself and his passion in it and here's what i've noticed not only about hans but bill gates has a a funny presentation where he actually talks about a very serious subject on malaria and how it spread third world countries and then releases mosquitoes he lets mosquitoes go (laughs) and it it, it brought the house down yeah but he's always bill gates too who's a friend of hans was always thinking about communication you know but what's interesting is when you see those people on a ted stage and then you see them giving interviews or videos outside of a big stage they're the same person yeah and what happens i think to most of us is the smile wipes away from our face when we have to give a business presentation we become very formal very serious no humor text bullet points everything becomes really dry and not the natural way that we're wired to communicate with another human being. Would you call that authenticity? Authenticity, absolutely. Is that a good way of describing it? That's why my favorite, uh, you know, sometimes on the videos that you folks do, you ask for your favorite manager. My favorite manager these days is Richard Branson. Because whenever I've met him, I've met him in person twice now, and I've spent some time with him, he's authentic. He's the real deal, and he's always smiling. And apparently he was always smiling even before he was a billionaire. Because he says business has to be fun. And so he's not afraid to kind of put himself in those kind of ridiculous positions every once in a while because that's who he is. Mm -hmm. That's authenticity. 
All right, let's start complaining about stuff. Is PowerPoint evil? I think Jeff Bezos thinks so. <laughs> That's right. He's yeah. been lately yeah. in the news. He's made quite a quite a bit of a ruckus about you know don't be bringing no slides to my present you know to to our meetings. This this proves our point though. Very important. Don't bring slides to meetings, says Jeff Bezos. What does he want instead? He wants a narrative. A narrative. Gee, old-fashioned storytelling. <laughs> what? Someone ought to write yeah. a book on this. Yeah. Good, news. Good news. I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think PowerPoint is necessarily a bad thing. I think the way it's done is poor. It's the exact opposite of the way our brains are structured and wired to comprehend information. Yeah. We're visual people. Yeah. Text is not as effective when you are communicating information out loud yeah. as is pictures and photographs yeah. and images and stories. Yeah. Because remember, you're not reading a presentation. You're listening to somebody deliver the presentation. Sure. So if you're speaking and on the slide, I see bullet points and words. Yeah. That's actually, according to neuroscientists, not me, that's the worst way. Yeah. of delivering information that is meant to be acted upon. Yeah. So when I write a book on persuasion, I have to go into those elements that are actually persuasive. And PowerPoint, in the way it's done for most people, is not persuasive. But I've also seen beautifully designed PowerPoint mm-hmm. slides. I've seen gorgeous Apple slides from mm-hmm. Steve Jobs. Right. I've seen gorgeous Prezi's. Now in marketing and management, a lot of people use Prezi, which shows more relationships. Depends on your goals. Mm-hmm. But I think it's not the tool. It's sure. the speaker. Exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite chapters in your book has to do with this idea of, I don't call it the poetic aspect of it, but the, again, the imagery, the verbal imagery, the the pictures you paint with your words, how important is it to nail the analogy or the metaphor? Again, not my idea. This goes back 2,300 years to a really smart guy named Aristotle who called metaphor verbal beauty. I love that. And so when we apparently, again, according to the scientist and, and cognitive psychologist, this is how we process our world all in analogy. You make analogies. When you see something for the first time, you've never seen anything like that before, what do you do? You have to compare it to the familiar. So great persuaders are very good at using analogies and metaphors. One of my favorites, and I have a number of examples in five stars, is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett can hardly get through a sentence without using some type of picture analogy or a metaphor to explain financial information. What a concept. And he does it very, very effectively. He calls the way he invests, he looks for companies that have a moat around them, like an economic castle, really hard for competitors to, to enter. A, to assail them. To assail right. them. Mm-hmm. The CEO is like a knight. It has to be a really strong guardian of that moat, that competitive advantage. Recently, I think earlier this year or last year, he called the American healthcare system the tapeworm of the American economy, mm-hmm. right? Wow, that's a, what, a, what a visceral analogy. To, oh, yeah, so it's eating away yeah. at the inside of our economy. Right. 
He does this all the time. Well, if metaphor is how Warren Buffett explains complex information, then I think it's probably a good tool for the rest of us to use as well. I notice Pope Francis does that a lot, too. He always uses metaphor. Think about that. That's a complex subject, faith, something you can't see. Mm -hmm. How do I get that across to you? I have to use ideas that are familiar to you. So this is like this. So-and-so is like that. Uh, Anytime you use analogies and metaphor, just be careful. Be careful, because as I've learned in the last few years, to speaking to people from all over the world, you know, the same metaphor in one country may not work in another country. Exactly, exactly. Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, when he speaks in China, he'll use certain metaphors and analogies and when he speaks in America, he uses different references and analogies. So that, that's the mark of a good communicator. Sure. They're changing their style and their imagery mm-hmm. based on what that particular audience is familiar with. Carmen, here at the American Management Association, particularly in a podcast like this, we like to think we're helping out a community of new managers or aspiring leaders, people who have just been given a team, a mission, a budget, whatever. And they're they're making that wonderful, exciting, complicated transition from being a great individual contributor to being a manager leader. What is in this book for a new manager or an aspiring leader? I think in the age of artificial intelligence and automation, that the ability to change hearts and minds, good old-fashioned persuasion, is the most competitive and valuable skill you can build today. And so what's in this book is the argument for why that's important, and also the very specific tools that you can use to sharpen your skills of persuasion. But that's what I think is in it for the managers. And everyone should absolutely check out this book. And again, it's entitled Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great, authored by Carmine Gallo. Carmine, thanks so much for being with us here today. Thank you. AMA webinars give you 90 minutes of focused how-to instruction and specific solutions to help you solve your most pressing work issues. Find tactical, practical courses on building work relationships, polishing your spreadsheet skills, managing your team to meet company goals, and more on our events calendar at amanet.org forward slash events. take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. <laughs>